0: Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host.
1: Cooking. 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 (laughs) Cooking. Cleaning. Cleaning. Don't read at the table. Cleaning. Sex with random men taking money, getting potatoes, cleaning again, cooking, cooking. See you next week, everybody.
0: Yeah, I was waiting for the end because that's like the experience of this movie, although you're speaking a lot more than anyone yeah. really speaks in this film that we're about to
1: talk about. How, how would I have done that bit without talking on this I don't podcast? I'm not saying that you should have. Oh. I'm
0: just trying to to illuminate what's going on here. So in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we are talking about the films of 1975, and we are here at our foreign film episode. And really, as we were planning this season, there are other notable foreign films from this year, but given what was going on in the cinema discourse at the moment, we really felt like there was nothing else we could possibly choose. So we are talking about Chantal Ackerman's film, Jean Dielman, 23K du Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles, Or, uh, you know, however you want to pronounce that.
1: I think you did good with
0: that. It's weird because I'm pronouncing the numbers in English, but the rest in French. Um, And of course... I'll I'll handle that. Tenedy! Thank you. Yes, that's the way to do it. You just use an accent. You don't don't change actual words. Uh, This film, of course, was recently... uh, Well, recently, I guess it's it's, uh, six months or so ago or more maybe now, voted the greatest film of all time. In the latest edition of the Sight and Sound poll, which is an every decade poll of critics, academics, filmmakers about the greatest films of all time. And it is really, at this point, I think the most prestigious version of that. It's been going every 10 years since 1952, I believe. And we talked a lot about it, actually, in our episode on Tokyo Story from our 1953 season, which was at number four. On that list, and uh, Jason objected. Uh, I feel like that may happen again.
1: I object, sir. Right now, I object, and I did not. Uh, I mean, this movie's fine. I'm, I don't hate it, but like the greatest movie of all time, like uh, Sight and Sound. Why do you hate great movies?
0: <laughs> well, it's not the only movie on the list. There's other movies on the list.
1: As I as I recall, uh, you know, this is number one. Goodfellas is 63. So. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, that's interesting that that's the one you picked out. Not that I don't like Goodfellas, but I feel like there's there's other choices. I, that. I know. That's
1: just what was on the top of my mind. So, right. No, that's
0: know. fair. It's a good movie. Yeah. I, it was a controversial pick and, and maybe we'll talk about that more. But I think regardless of whether you believe that this is the greatest movie of all time or that it deserves to be at the top of that list, it clearly is quite a notable film. And I, it seemed like we could not leave 1975 without talking about this film and and it's interesting i mean this is not the kind of film that we typically cover although i feel like we've we've covered a pretty large range of of genres and and approaches uh in our many many episodes but this is an outlier but i think it's interesting for us to talk about something
1: like that uh, i agree and like i said like i i mean i just don't agree with this uh poll here but i the movie is interesting. It is a uh, true definition of slow cinema. And uh, if you need me to explain what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like, Josh. Slow yeah, I you, cinema.
0: I think you <laughs> illustrated what exactly that was at the at the top of this episode. Um, yeah, I mean, it is is an extremely long film. It's uh, 201 minutes. So it's about three hours and 20 minutes. Three hours and, and 21 minutes. Yes, mm, three hours and crap. 21 minutes. Correct. You you got to feel that extra minute there. <laughs> you
1: you know, you know, we love doing math here on Awesome Movie Air.
0: Yeah, I'm super good at it. Um. Uh, yeah, so it's extremely long and it is very slow. It is low on incident. There are a lot of long takes. The camera is never moves stationary yeah, never uh. moves. There's minimal dialogue, repetitive actions. Uh, There are a couple times where not only does the camera not move, but nothing moves to the point where you might wonder, did I pause the movie? (laughs) And (laughs) that is all, of course, deliberate. I think the idea here is to really immerse you in the drudgery of this woman's life and to kind of get you to experience something like that. And uh, there's multiple... Uh, reviews on on letterbox but elsewhere talk about the the idea that this movie is boring on purpose that that's not even a criticism but that is deliberately boring
1: yeah I, I think it is i mean and um i think ackerman said uh there's a hierarchy of images in cinema that places a car accident or a kiss uh or above a kiss and the uh higher in the hierarchy than washing up oh it, it places a car accident or a kiss higher in the hierarchy than washing up And it's not by accident, but relates to the place of a woman in the social hierarchy. Women's work comes out of oppression, and whatever comes out of oppression is more interesting. You have to be definite. You have to be.
0: Yes. I mean, regardless, again, of what you think, everything here is intentional. And I think, as we've talked about a lot of times with films that maybe we don't entirely enjoy, the clear vision of a filmmaker who has something to say is always appreciated, I think. And, uh, that's certainly what's going
1: on here. Uh, another quote I got was this was the only way to shoot the film, to avoid cutting the action in a hundred places, to look carefully and to be respectful. The framing was meant to respect her space, her and her gestures within it.
0: Right. And, and it certainly, it certainly does that. Uh, I mean, we, we see every little gesture, we see every little motion, I mean, to the point where if you're immersed in this film and especially the kind of repetitive nature of everything that Sean Dielman herself does, when something breaks that, like when she drops the spoon or whatever, it's like, oh my God, what's going on? She dropped the spoon. <laughs> and it's it's equivalent to like the car crash or whatever that 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 Ackerman is citing. A spoon crash. As he said, it is. It's a spoon crash. It's it's jarring. So No, it's spooning. Um, Right. There's, I don't know if there are any jars in this film as well. Probably somewhere in the kitchen
1: there were. Josh, I think we have to also say up front, you know, this uh, obviously 1975 made its uh, debut in the US in 1983. So the only way to really watch it, I think, was to be in the theater and sit for three hours and 21 minutes. No cell phones, obviously. Right. You know, I'm not going to lie, man. I mean, I watched this on Criterion. I was like, hey, I'm gonna break this up an hour at a time if I have to. And I did it in two sittings or maybe three sittings over two days, but like, it's a different way of watching the movie than perhaps was intended back in the day.
0: Right, no, that's absolutely true. And I think part of the intention, like I was saying, in immersing you in this world, is that it's gonna be an experience like you just described, that you're gonna have to sit down in a theater, in the dark, with this as the only thing for your focus, for those three hours and 20 minutes. And of course, nowadays, that's not necessarily the case. I did watch it in one sitting. I took a brief bathroom break in the middle, but it was it was relatively short and I did not break it up over multiple days or anything. And And I felt it, but I did feel like I sort of got into the rhythm of it. And also I was like, eating dinner while I was watching this movie. And I was like, I feel like I'm reflecting this film. It's appropriate for me to be like making and eating my dinner while I watch this movie.
1: Yeah, you could have been reading a book and when she told her son to not read at the table, you could have put your book down and you know, whatever it takes.
0: I could have. I did want to at least try to be watching the film uh, at, at all times. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that that's an experience that she is aiming for from her audience and that most people are not getting. I mean, it's just another piece of content. You know, I watch this on max and it's great that something like this is available on a service like that and not just on criterion, but you know, I'm typing in the the title and this pops up right next to Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) this is the range of what people are. I thought
1: you were going to be like, uh yeah. after Sean and I watched Flip It or Flop It. I you mean, know? you
0: could, right? It's there. It's all there. Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's just a, the way that it is. Uh, so this was Chantal Ackerman's second narrative feature film after Je Tu Il El, which I actually have seen, although quite a long time ago when I was in college. And uh, that is an experience.
1: How long is well. that movie?
0: That's short. Sure, I think this is, I don't know if this is, her only movie that's really long. I'm pretty sure it's her longest movie, but that, that's like 85 minutes. Mm. But it, you feel a, a similar uh, level of tedium, I recall. Uh, it was a long time ago that I saw that, but I had no real context. I think it was, it was in a, a class. It might've been a class that I took on French film. I can't remember, but it was some film class and I had no idea who Chantal Ackerman was. And I don't think the professor had really adequately prepared students for what this movie would be. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? And that movie has a like 10 or 15 minutes uh, extraordinarily explicit lesbian sex scene that is just really unpleasant to watch. Um, Not because Mm -hmm. it's lesbians, but because of the way I think she wants to make, just like the brief sex scene in this movie, which is not very explicit, but she wants to make that stuff kind of off-putting and make you think about how weird and gross it is when people have sex with each other.
1: Mm. Uh, Anyway, mm.
0: that's Mm. not a film I Mm. would necessarily (laughs) recommend that you watch, but um, that had brought her to attention of of critics and academics, and as well as the Belgian government's culture uh, division, which gave her a grant of $120,000, which formed the budget of this film, It premiered in the director's fortnight at the 1975 Cannes Film Festival. No,
1: you got that wrong. It took the entire director's
0: fortnight. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, The two week long film. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there eventually. And uh, as you said, it was not released in theaters commercially in the U.S. until 1983, although it did play at film festivals. But the main release in 1983, and I couldn't find general figures, But it did during that release gross $19,858 in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So not a lot. But, you know, I don't think that's Chantal Ackerman is not monitoring the box office very carefully, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, it's too bad Marvel wasn't around in... uh... When this came out, I would have been a good uh, a good fit to bring her in as an Avengers director or something. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, weirdly, isn't this kind of what Marvel does, right? They find people who make these highly acclaimed independent films and then they suck them up into their machine. So, uh, not to say that that would be Chantal Ackerman, but it's not that far off. No,
1: but I think most people would say like Eternals is, if not the worst, one of the worst, right? And that's Chloe Zhao. And that uh, I'm not saying I'm not comparing. I mean, Nomadland was a, a slow movie too. So I think maybe they're not, uh, maybe that wasn't the best fit and maybe this would not be the best fit too. Right, so. right. I,
0: I don't think that comparing Chloe Zhao to Chantal Ackerman is is inaccurate necessarily, but you're
1: right. Booyah. Yeah. Booyah film scholars. <laughs> How do you like that?
0: So um, given that it did not come out in the US until later, I was looking around for reviews and I actually found a couple reviews Uh, from French publications, where of course they were able to see it sooner. So I figured that would be appropriate to quote here. So we will start with Louis Marquerel from Le Monde, which is like the main daily newspaper in Paris. And this is translated via Google Translate, so it may not not be perfect, but I'm going to try it. So he said, To say these horrible things, Chantal Ackerman employs the most insidious gentleness. Flattens her story into a sluggish duration with no apparent ups or downs. Everything happens in a climate of carefully maintained neutrality. Everything seems insignificant. Jean Dielman is only apparently a hard, difficult film. With an almost immodest clarity, it invites us to question our whole perception of everyday life, to rediscover those secret impulses that work in the shadows of our society. Jean Dielman is a poem. We cannot dissociate in this exceptional success the part of the author, that of Delphine Seerig, who plays John Dielman, that of our compatriot Babette Mangolt, who holds the camera. Certainly the first feminine masterpiece in the history of cinema.
1: Yeah, I also uh, had that last line uh, in my notes there. Yes. Um, so uh, uh, that's uh, his opinion. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think whether you think this is
0: again, the greatest film of all time or whatever. I mean, certainly this was a step forward in terms of women making films, right? Not that women hadn't made films before this, but this kind of uncompromising vision that is very rooted in female experience, I think is something that people hadn't really seen much of.
1: You heard it here, folks. Josh Bell hates lesbian sex and women don't know how to make movies. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that was the perspective probably of the time you know and uh, there were very few even in this in this avant-garde realm or even in like the french new wave right beyond agnes varda there aren't that many female filmmakers at this time
1: yes i'm glad you didn't bring up lenny riefenstein josh so you riefenstahl. know riefenstahl Whatever. She was a Nazi.
0: She's not Jewish. Literally, the entire thing about her is that she was a Nazi.
1: Well, she was a yeah. I'm not a fan.
0: No. Although, I mean, I've never seen this is a way off topic, but I've never seen Triumph of the Will. But I think it is, you know, it's an artistically significant work, even though it's reprehensible. Yeah. Right. There you go. So. I mean, that's a that's a thing to struggle with, but not, I don't think, something we're struggling with here.
1: No, no. And uh I'm going to keep calling her Riefenstein that score one for the Jews. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I don't know if that exactly is what's happening there, but you do what you want to do.
1: No, I just messed messed up her name. But who fucking cares?
0: All right. Yeah, she deserves it. So (laughs) um, continuing with the French uh, critics. Danielle Dubroux in Jason's favorite publication, Cahiers du Cinéma,
1: which, of course, you must mention, I am
0: an honorary member of. That is not true. (laughs) and this was translated by an actual translator, not Google, so it should sound a little better. Uh, she said The heroine of this film, Jean Dielman, simply doesn't correspond to those sorrowful archetypes of human suffering, those tragic figures as old as ancient drama itself. She is just a housewife, a housebound mother, one of those ordinary, inconspicuous people you meet in the grocers or at the school gates. She has never occupied center stage, she is elsewhere. She is in us. She is our mother, everybody's mother, strangely transformed into spectacle, transported to the screen in her daily gestures, endlessly repeated, those gestures that we finally look at and stop to question. She reigns over a world of objects, of obedient things, which are the only witnesses of her life, the only signs of her dominance. Indeed, it's when this dominance can no longer be taken for granted that her downward slide begins, for this is her only link with the world outside herself with anything really
1: tangible. And uh, I think I'm inspired, Josh, by this uh, review. I was thinking of Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. I feel like it's time for Michael Keaton to remake John Dealman as John Dealman. Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to really
0: spectacularly miss the point of everything in this film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Shot for shot remake. keaton's (laughs) keaton's <laughs> in baby so yeah
0: yeah i i feel like there could be something like that uh i we just talked about drag queens related to what was the the last movie uh we did or two movies ago and i feel like this is another separate
1: wives separate yeah, husbands wives, thing. right yeah. yeah
0: exactly i feel like this is another thing that that could be you know where is uh jean dealman the drag queen
1: but there is uh you know as as with every season we notice trends and uh something obviously in the zeitgeist about Uh, women and equality and what their perceived place in society is, and art is tackling that here.
0: Right, totally. And Stepford Wives is a more mainstream genre version of that, which of course is written and directed by men. And this is the avant-garde take on that, where a woman is asserting her own perspective on, on these ideas. And I do think one one of the things that this review points out was something that I noticed, and I was sort of semi-joking about the dropping of the spoon, but I feel like that's something that this movie does, that it lulls you into that routine. And so when something like that happens, you really do notice it. And it really does, it is significant as an indicator of Jean Dielman kind of losing her grip on this rigid routine that she has.
1: Uh, when, that, when she was like cooking, whether it was a schnitzel or something, like I was watching the method and I was like, oh, is she going to flour it before she basted an egg or is she going to go right to the egg? But she did it the way I would have done it, which is flour, egg wash and then you know, crumb and everything. Mm, that's good. I, I would not have known how to do that. But but I learned from this film. I don't think you did, Josh. If I had uh, asked you to make a schnitzel after this, I don't think you could have done it.
0: No, I don't even know what a schnitzel is, really. So <laughs> <laughs> that would not have worked. Uh, So finally, one American reviewer. um, And as I said, this did play film festivals. So this is Kevin Thomas in the Los Angeles Times from the 1977 uh, Film X film festival in L.A. And he said, Belgian filmmaker Chantal Ackerman takes the old adage, quote, a woman's work is never done and turns it upon the audience in her relentless three-hour, 20-minute study of the domestic routines of a Brussels widow with an utterly self-preoccupied teenage son. However, Miss Cyrig is truly riveting in the finest, surely most demanding role of her career, and Jean Dielman, seething with feminist protest, proves to be a shocker, an enormously demanding, superbly wrought film that also is most rewarding.
1: Yeah, that is, I mean, that was a very uh, uh, demanding was the word, a hard performance to pull off by Delphine Seyrig, I'd say. Yeah, Um, I would say so too. And she was
0: like a major star. This wasn't some, you know, we talk about like, like Werner Herzog, for example, this season. And a lot of times these independent filmmakers or avant-garde filmmakers are recruiting non-actors to get this level of authenticity, but Delphine Seyrig was a major, major French film star,
1: and and worked with some great directors, including including Truffaut, Buñuel, Duras, and uh, Fred Zinnemann.
0: Yes, exactly. So, she was she was a big, far, but also was a feminist activist at the time, and so clearly would have been kind of on the wavelength of what Chantal Ackerman was attempting uh, to do.
1: Uh, Josh, the one thing I don't necessarily agree with in that review is that the sun was self obsessed or whatever. I think. You know, if you look at another movie that is uh, perhaps not a great fit with this one, but like that we talked about American beauty. Right. You see like the relationship between uh, teenage or young adult um, children and parents and how far the rifts between them become sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't say self-obsessed. He says like self-preoccupied, I think there. And I did feel like the son was kind of uh a little, a little dickhead a little bit. I mean, he's in he's a teenager, he's off in his own world, but I think the disconnect between him and his mother is meant to be part of the film. And I don't know if you're meant to think that he is self-absorbed or inconsiderate or whatever, but clearly they don't have as as close a relationship as parents and children children might hope to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, but there are scenes where like, you know, she's at the table doing what she's doing. He's reading like, oh, don't you want to listen to music tonight? It's not like he's just ignoring and inconsiderate of her.
0: Right. No, I mean, and he's I think like any entitled teenager or child or whatever, he kind of expects her to do things for him because that's what parents do. And we see her, you know, waking up before dawn and polishing his shoes and, you know, whatever, getting things ready for him because because that's what parents do. And he doesn't exactly acknowledge it but that's what kids do so that's just how it is i suppose there you go josh as a non-parent i can say these things um (laughs) so obviously we none of us had seen this film before right jason and you had you ever seen any chantal ackerman
1: no and uh well i didn't hate this film I don't really feel myself with the urge to delve deeper into her catalog anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I was, I, briefly contemplating trying to watch uh, what is it, News from Home, which is a documentary film. That's probably her second most well-known film that is from uh, around this time as well, and is very is much shorter and is available on Criterion. But I didn't, I didn't have the time or really the inclination. But I mean, I'd be mildly curious. Like I said, after having watched it to Il you know, 20 plus years ago, I certainly came away from that thinking, well, I don't want to watch any more of her films. But I'm glad that I had the chance to watch this because it's so notable, but it's such a time commitment and a grueling experience that I doubt I would have made the effort to watch it were it not for this external (laughs) reason. So I'm glad that we had this opportunity. Um, But yeah, I probably am not rushing to watch more Chantal Ackerman either. Uh, Dave, you watch this on the treadmill, right?
2: <laughs> the, the bike, oh, okay. actually. The, yes. Uh, uh, partially there, partially home, partially all over the place. Honestly, it was like five or six and I'm usually like very against watching things in segments, but, uh, yeah, you know, you kind of have to with this.
0: I feel like, again, like me waking dinner or whatever, like going through the drudgery of your exercise routine, maybe, uh, almost is a good reflection of this film.
1: Is this the longest movie we've ever covered? It probably is. I believe is, Heaven's huh? Gate is
0: longer than Heaven's this. Gate. Yeah, I think Heaven's yeah. Gate was close to four hours. So, oh yeah, what a time! <laughs> but a lot more happened in Heaven's Gate. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about in the background of this film, Jason?
1: She shot this with an all-women crew, which is cool. But I think Ackerman said that. Um, She made the mistake of just saying like, it's an all women crew, as opposed to making sure she picked the right women to shoot. Yeah,
0: that is key. I feel like with any kind of crew, you want to pick the right people, not just the ones who are there. So lesson learned. So we'll come back then in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on Jean Dielman. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of nineteen seventy-five, we are talking about our foreign film pick, John Dielman, et cetera, et cetera, from <laughs> director Chantal Ackerman. And
1: you,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jason really i I feel like this is like uh Adam Sandler's version of a Belgian <laughs> accent or something somehow. Hey,
1: there you go. Another guy right for the remake of uh john dealman i can't
0: can't wait for jason's john dealman three hour long comedy sketch starring adam
1: sandler you know josh it's funny you say that because i took this note with the release of the dvd edition by the criterion collection in 2009 the company held a contest that invited fans to create cooking videos inspired by the film and post them on YouTube. Yeah. So you're not that far off. And it's okay to have a sense of humor about this. I hope that
0: Chantal Ackerman herself was amused by that and had a sense of humor about her film while also taking it seriously.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah. I thought thought you meant about that contest, but
0: I don't know. I think she was still alive. No, she was still alive in 2009. She was still alive. Yeah, so I, I, I did mean that. I hope she does have a sense of humor or did have a sense of humor about that. And about the film, I mean, there's not really any humor in the film, but that's not to say that she herself would have been humorless or not open to uh, jokes or whatever.
1: Yeah, that would be a weird thing to say. Like, hey, you made a drama. You don't you don't like any jokes. Right.
0: Um, (laughs) But yeah, this is this is certainly a serious film. Uh, There's no levity here. There's really no like relief or break. I mean, I think, again, that's part of the point of the film.
1: (laughs) Here's my thing, yeah. Josh. And I think this is the big conversation point for me. And I think I put it on go for Jason, my letterbox review. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a three hour and 21 minute movie. I feel like I could have gotten this in 81 minutes and had the same. It would have had the same effect. on.
0: Me. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agree. But again, I feel like the length is part of the concept of this, that the fact that you feel that way is she wants you to feel that way. She doesn't want you to come out of it at 80 minutes and be like, I got it. She wants you to come out of it at three hours and be like, I could have gotten it in 80 minutes, but you had to really be bombarded with this drudgery to to feel every moment of it to put you in along with that character.
1: Well, what's wild and spoiler alert, and I hope you watch this. uh, If you want to watch it, you should watch this before we talk about this because you go through 3 hours and 10 minutes of the monotony and the drudgery as you call it and just the just the same uh steps over and over and then it just takes a wild twist you know uh 190 minutes into the film
0: i mean yes but at the same time i spent virtually the entire film expecting something like that to happen
1: did you, i i don't i mean I, I understand what you're saying, like, oh, I could see how this got to that point, but also I could have seen if it never got to any point. I agree, but I definitely
0: thought, okay, this is going to lead up to some kind of act of violence. And I didn't necessarily know what it was going to be, but I thought, okay, either one of these Johns, you know, she has these clients, just like one client every day. I don't think she's making a lot of money as a prostitute. She's not maximizing her time.
2: Really. So it's like a, no, she's not Belle de It's like not. a hobby that pays a little bit. Right, basically. but she
0: doesn't have a job otherwise. So it but yeah.
1: well, she watches that baby
2: sometimes. I don't think she gets
0: paid for that. It's just her neighbor's baby. <laughs> but I definitely thought, okay, either one of these guys is gonna kill her or she's gonna snap and do, you know, what actually-
1: Stab him in this. the neck with a pair of scissors right. after the sex, which she seemed to enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Did she enjoy it? She, she has this moment where, and I read somewhere, and I can't remember where it was now that that describes that moment as like, either she's having an orgasm or she's trying to fight him off. And I feel like you're not supposed to entirely know which one it is.
1: I thought it was either that she was enjoying it or she was had already figured out what she was going to do. And she was- Trying to, you know, up the ante for him and have him finish quick. Oh, so that
0: she could get to killing him? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things in this movie that are meant to be ambiguous, (sighs) but I did think that.
1: Well, yeah, because I've never done a post sex murder. So, like, Mm. I'm just guessing here.
0: I mean, you're missing out. (laughs) (laughs) But I
1: did. Now, how did you commit your post sex murder,
0: Josh? It's like Colonel Mustard with the pipe in the library. (laughs) Um, John, John Dielman
1: with that's why you don't go to the theme parties with Josh.
0: (laughs) But I did. The other thing I thought was that, you know, maybe she's going to snap and kill her snot nosed kid who was, like I said, is kind of a dick.
1: That would have been way. I think that would have been I don't I this was the better way to go. I don't know how that would have. No, I agree. I mean, this
0: makes the most sense. And I think this conveys the point that that Ackerman is trying to convey. But I was just thinking something drastic was going to happen, I guess, is my point. And it it did. It did. It did indeed. But there's a lot, a lot of leading up to not that. drastic yeah, things. That exactly. Don't happen. But I mean, again, it, it, it is foreshadowed in a way by these tiny things that break the monotony of the routine, the dropping the spoon. At one point, she cooks the potatoes. She forgets the potatoes are cooking and she has to throw them out and go buy some new potatoes so that the potatoes are ready for dinner and things like that. Really small things.
1: Do you think there should have been a sequel where she's in jail and like cooking potatoes in jail? Maybe. Cooking potatoes. Filing Shiv. Filing Shiv. Or
0: maybe she gets away with it.
1: Murdering cellmate. And she just uh, continues on
0: her daily routine. So uh, there were a few things in this movie that I was like, I don't really know what they're doing, like the characters. And I wasn't sure if I was obtuse. Or if there were certain things that, like, if I were Belgian in 1975, I would have understood. But there's two moments, and maybe Jason, you can, or Dave, maybe you can explain. There's two moments in this film where she and her son, in the evening, they leave the apartment. And as far as I could tell, all that they show in the film is it looks like they kind of walk around the block and go back. But I wasn't sure if they were supposed to be going somewhere that we don't see. Because the second time he even says, like, oh, are we going to have time to go now because we ate so late? And that's when she uh, has to redo the potatoes. So where did they go, Jason?
1: I took it as an evening walk, but uh, again, does it matter?
2: I
0: mean, I, I think it does because nothing that Ackerman is doing here is unintentional.
2: Yeah, I thought they were just breaking up the monotony of sitting at home, like just like we're watching them. They also don't want to just sit there the whole time. So they're just going for a little walk.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe so. I just felt like there was something missing there. And especially in the second time where he's like, do we have time? Can we get there or whatever? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe he means do we have time to take a walk before my bedtime? I don't know.
2: Well, I thought that kid was so weird. Like everything about him was weird from that to his conversations with his mom. Everything was weird about that kid.
0: He was weird. And I think that actor too, Jan de Court is his name. Who's a, he's a Belgian actor and uh, not, this is the main thing that he's did in his career as an actor, but he, he has this weird look and maybe this was just, I don't maybe this was just me. But when he first comes in, I was like, oh, is that her husband? And it took me a moment to figure out because I feel like he looked simultaneously like 15 and 45.
1: (laughs) Um, I think it's fair for us to assume that we didn't catch everything in this three hour and 21 minute uh, uh, marathon. Right, and that's why I'm asking because there were things that I felt
0: like maybe I didn't catch this and maybe you guys did. So the other thing, and I feel like this is just knowing something about Belgian society in the 70s, but what is that office that she goes to to pay them And then she tries to go on another day and it's closed.
1: I think that could have been like any bill pay office back then, you know, like it could have been a phone or electricity, any bill pay office.
0: All right. Yeah, that was kind of what I thought, but I wasn't sure if it was maybe something else or there was some other significance to it. And the fact that it's closed the second time and then she's there's some box outside. And at first I thought it was like a payphone, but she's trying to put coins in it. But I guess maybe that's
2: just an alternate way to pay your bill. I don't know. I I was not around in uh, Belgium in the 70s. So. We really should have booked a uh, Belgian housewife as a guest for yeah. this episode. Especially
1: one who did a murder.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: We should have just gotten John dealman Um <laughs> Did you uh how did you feel about every shot being a static shot?
0: I mean, I think it's a a deliberate choice Well, clearly. it it's part of well, and I mean it's it's part of everything that she's doing to give you that monotony that you don't even get the camera moving. And not only are they static shots, they're, you know, they're relatively long takes, but you also, at a certain point in the movie, you get familiar with, okay, there's a, there's a, a a sort of set number of setups that she has. Here's where the camera is when we're in the living room. Here's where the camera is when we're in the kitchen. Here's where the camera is when we're in the bedroom. And there's a moment later in the film as her, Kind of mental state is breaking down where she goes and sits in a chair in the living room and it's a new setup and that is like whoa what's happening here yeah, you know so yeah. i think that's all part of it
1: well you uh you you're you're speaking on revolutionary terms here josh yeah thank you what did you think of of the way that she did that i mean again i i feel like i got it and i understand why she did it i mean it makes sense why she did it, but I again I felt I would have gotten it in uh two hours less time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's also there's no close-ups. So for a movie where we're really trying to be in the headspace in a way of this main character, we don't get to see the emotion on her face really. Uh,
1: everything's from a distance, like Bette Midler used to tell us. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, much like that. it's Bette Midler, the divine Miss M. star John, of the remake of Jean. We got
1: a few pitches that are red hot right now, baby.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, maybe this is weird to ask, but did you have a favorite part of this film, Jason?
1: <laughs> I don't know. What do you want me to say? Uh, I mean, the titty, honest, the bat scene with titties, or the this post-sex <laughs> murderer? The Oh, oh the, the schnitzel? What do you want me to say here, Josh? <laughs> so, I
0: want you to be honest about
1: <laughs> it. I, I don't think there was a fit. I think it was uh, a level plane the entire way through. Okay. So there was no moment that you were more fascinated I, than it The other murder, parts. the murder, you know, that was like, ah, oh, okay. You wrote me in for three hours and 10 minutes, didn't you? You got me yeah. on that one, Ackerman. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I feel like there were, because the dialogue is so sparse, that any scene where characters are talking a bunch, you 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 kind of sit up and pay more attention, and the the, the scene where her fucked up son is talking about his really uh, disturbing views on sex between his parents, I thought that was a fascinating.
1: That story. was that was interesting, yeah. So
0: yeah, and uh, and I think that was another reason why I thought about what might happen, like with a drastic act at the end, because he talks about how in his misunderstanding of what sex was at a child, he thought that his father, who has been dead, they start out by saying has been dead for six years, that when his father was having sex with his mother, he was like stabbing her with a sword or something. And as a child, he was trying to prevent the parents from having sex by pretending to have like nightmares or whatever and making the mom Mm. come sleep in the bed with him. And I thought, well, one thing that could happen is he comes home unexpectedly and catches her with this client. And, you know, maybe he commits an act of violence.
1: That would have been interesting. Yeah. Would you have preferred that? Um, I don't have any preferences. I think that might've been <laughs> a little more interesting, but, um, I really have zero preferences, Josh. I'm, uh, I'm I'm happy that they, uh, have sustenance. Yeah, they do. They have a lot of, although
0: the kid also ungrateful Starchy. at one point, he barely eats any of the dinner that she spent like half the day preparing.
1: Well, you know, uh, maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't as good as the schnitzel.
0: Yeah, what is, so schnitzel is a meat dish. I it's, feel like it's, I, I
1: imagine. Yeah, that. it's usually pork, but you can use any meat. They do chicken with it, right? And you pound it out real thin, and then you bread it um, like kind of the way I told you, and then you fry it. And uh, it would be like kind of like the version of like a chicken parm without any of the uh, sauce or the topping. It's just like a chicken, a fried chicken breaded breast or whatever it is. But it's usually pork. It's tasty.
0: Sure. All right, yeah, I don't know for some reason in my mind I thought of schnitzel was some sort of pastry.
1: Nope.
0: No. I oh, see I'm learning. I'm learning so much here.
1: <laughs> Is that a Belgian food? I I know it as a German food, but I think it's um, you know, that kind of entire area of uh of Europe, Austria and and uh German and every Germany everything else. Mhm. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you think of the baby I know you must have hated that scene because she let her she let that baby cry for a long time. It was also weird because John Dielman just didn't seem to care that the baby was crying for a long time. She was yeah. had to finish her task at that moment.
0: Right. Well, I think what it is is she she tries to kind of connect with the baby. Right. The first scene where she takes care of the baby, she doesn't really do anything with it. The neighbor drops it off. She puts it in its little carrier, like on the table and goes about her business. And then the neighbor comes back a little bit later and she gives the baby back to the neighbor. And the second time I got the feeling that, that maybe, and maybe in part related to her, like distance from her son, she's trying to connect with this baby, right? She picks it up and she's like, oh, you're such a cute baby. And she's trying to kind of kiss it. The baby is not having such a
1: cute baby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <It's> <laughs> crying
0: and, and then she does kind of what you're saying where she clearly is like, okay, this is, I, I, I made a mistake here or whatever. I have no human connection. And she just puts the baby down and lets it cry while she does something else. And then the neighbor shows back up and she gives the baby back. And I felt like maybe that was also some indication of the difficulty of her in finding human connection.
1: I, I think that's fair. That's why you're a film critic. Cause you're making all these, uh, points there that, uh, the rest of us just, uh, don't even consider Josh. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm sure other people have considered that. So
0: we should maybe say that also the neighbor who we only ever hear and don't see is played by Chantal Ackerman. Mm. Mm. So, or whatever that means,
1: Josh, I got to tell you, I really have nothing else to add on this. film. (laughs) Nothing,
0: (laughs) nothing else. All right. Fair enough. Jason, did you like this more or less than Tokyo story?
1: I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I give it a higher rating than Tokyo Story. But after all the feedback on Tokyo Story and all the talk that we had on it, I'm going to rewatch that at some point and see if I was a, a real asshole about it. Yeah, but I, I mean, but I think you guys are the real assholes about it. That's my guess. Is I'm not the asshole, and you guys are the asshole. Sure, sure.
0: All right. Well, that seems like your insistent <laughs> perspective. Um, Wow. certainly a lot more things happen in tokyo story
1: yeah there are more things that happen that's true maybe i just wasn't ready for that and this one i was new going in like all right you know get ready kid it's gonna be a long fight tonight
0: <laughs> are you uh are you ready to make
1: your way through the rest of that uh list that you haven't seen i do want to make my way through the uh the sight and sound list uh I- i'm guessing you do too Sure, yeah, I mean,
0: I think a lot of these movies, not all of them, but a lot of these are this kind of experience that you need to prepare yourself for, and it might be a bit of a a chore, but I'm sure rewarding. But uh, yeah, shall we rate this out of five uh, schnitzels?
1: Sure, Uh, I gave it three. That's a hearty bunch of schnitzels right there. (laughs) Fill you right up, Josh. Three (laughs) schnitzels. (laughs) I'm gonna also give it three
0: schnitzels. I think I, you know, I appreciated the experience Maybe even a little more than I expected. I can't say it's enjoyable, but I'm glad that I went through it. So, Dave, how would you
2: rate this? I actually went three and a half. I have a lot of the same, you know, thoughts as you guys, but I just uh, appreciated the parts of it that really worked. So, it was oh, fun. you're so
1: aerodynamic. That's me. Hey, it's Josh, a- if there was no, if nothing happened at the end, would you have rated it the same?
0: I think so because I think it still immerses you in that experience. And in a way, if nothing happened at the end, it would emphasize the idea that I feel like comes across in the first two clients, that her seeing these clients as a prostitute is essentially no different from her cooking schnitzel. It's all just part of the the monotony of her daily life. And I did wonder if that might happen, too. And I feel like that would have been a valid way to end it as well.
2: Yeah, if I could just add, like, the ending is my least favorite part of the movie. So, you know, maybe I would have liked it even more without that. Hmm. Why
0: didn't you like the ending?
2: I don't know. I just thought it was like too... Like like you said, I was kind of expecting it the whole time, Josh. Like like you said, like some kind of act of violence to like close this thing out. And when it came, it was just so, I don't know, just abrupt and quickly over with. I was like, I either want more or less, basically. Hmm.
0: I mean, it was abrupt. Although, again, I feel like as soon as she grabs those scissors, I'm like, oh, there's Chekhov's scissors. Yeah, you know, sure. something is happening with these scissors. Yeah. And she leaves them on the dresser rather than returning them to the kitchen. It's like, you know that that's significant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So Jason's making quite a face. We'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Jean Dealman. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1975, we are talking about our foreign film pick, Jean Dielman from Chantal Ackerman. And as we've said, legacy wise, I mean, this movie has gotten so much renewed attention in the last several months because of being at the top of that sight and sound poll as the
1: greatest film of all time. And I feel like that's gotten a lot of people, including us, to watch it. I think it did do that. But um, Josh, I'm going to go out and say it's not the
2: greatest film of all time. Here's a question, Jason, would it make your top 100? No,
1: I I gave it 3 I gave it 3 out of 5, man. You know, I don't think it would make my top 100.
2: Yeah, of course me neither.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would make mine either if I'm talking about my personal preferences, but I think it's legit to say that this is one of the most artistically significant films of all time. I mean, you can see that Ackerman has influenced a huge range of filmmakers leading up to the present day and I mean, I think also this is such a different kind of movie from the movies that previously were at the top of that poll. You know, Citizen Kane, which was the one that was there for the longest, but then had been supplanted by Vertigo. And even Bicycle Thieves, which was the first one to ever top the list, which is certainly more austere than those other two, has a lot more incident, has a lot more things happening. And I just think that Ackerman is going for something so different from what Hitchcock or Wells or DeSica would even consider that it's it's almost hard to put this in the same category
1: as those films. Well, they did though, Josh. So it shows did. what you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's 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 a like ongoing critic problem. Even now it's like, you know, you are gonna make your list of the best films of 2023. And do you really consider you know, Fast and Furious alongside some little art film. If you are someone who likes both of those, and and people do, and I mean, and I would too, even though I don't like Fast and Furious movies, but a blockbuster movie and a and an art kind of film. But they certainly have extremely different aims.
1: Yeah, well, we talked about this last year, and I actually, just listened to Chris McQuarrie on um, script notes yesterday, and he was talking about how his aim is very maximalist, and that he wants to have the biggest audience enjoy the movies at the highest level from an emotional standpoint right which is something that i don't think marvel is doing they're just saying like hey we are a, we're going to we're going to just keep playing to our fan base but last year my my favorite movie dave's favorite movie was top gun maverick so that did work for us and talk about a movie that would be a double feature with john mm mm-hmm. mhm <laughs> yeah do you think tom cruise could be john Dealman? i don't know if uh i mean i think I think he'd want to talk more.
0: <laughs> yeah. and'd he'd, he'd really be into the stabbing scene. Oh, yeah. I feel like he would really, uh, you know go method.: There
1: more. would definitely be close-ups on the eyes at some point, but you know, I'm not going to doubt Tom Cruise. he did uh, he did save movies according to Steven Spielberg. so Yeah, exactly.
0: So this movie, even though it wasn't as acclaimed and sort of canonized at the time that it came out. It did help launch Chantal Ackerman as a major world filmmaker. Uh, Like I said, News From Home, which is a sort of documentary film from a couple of years later, is a big deal. And she continued to make films that were always, you know, they were an event in the world of art house film through 2015, which was the year that she died. Her final film came out that year called No Home Movie, which was sort of a pseudo sequel to News From Home, both dealing with her correspondence. With her mother and uh clearly a relationship that was key to a lot of her i
1: think uh if i'm not mistaken that after her mother died she killed herself also so it's not just key to her work but a very sad ending as well
0: yeah yeah and it seemed like that relationship was something that kind of kept her going in her life and that without that maybe she didn't feel like she could well
1: she called this movie a love film for my mother so
0: in, which which makes you think that maybe she sees herself in the sun of this film. Maybe you would think I don't think you, you don't have any thoughts on anything.
1: I, I You're really digging deep here. And I'm like, I'm just uh, maybe I'm just watching it from a surface level. And uh, that's OK, too, on this one. No, so, you know,
0: no that's OK. You know. That's fine. However you want to process any of these films is fine.
1: Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. Uh, Delphine Cyrig. Uh, I don't know. Sure, last year at Marion Bad—that's one of your favorites, right, Josh? No, I really hate Last Year at Marion Bad. Day of the Jackal is that seventy-five? She was in that this year also, if I'm not mistaken. No, uh, yeah, that wasn't I, seventy-five, but you know that's uh, another one I wanted to note.
0: Yeah, I mean, she did work with, as you said earlier, like all of these major, major directors. She was in The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, the Buñuel film. She was in A Doll's House, Last Year at Marion Bad. So, I mean, she was this huge star and also somebody who worked in these challenging, I mean, working with Bunuel and Adeline Renee. I mean, those are artistically ambitious filmmakers. And she herself directed a feminist documentary called Be Pretty and Shut Up. She formed a feminist video collective. So she was right there with Chantal Ackerman. And I would have to think that as an up and coming filmmaker, that for Ackerman to connect herself with someone who was that famous probably was a big deal to get her movie seen by more people.
1: Yeah, she directed three movies. I was going to ask you if you saw uh Swabelle et Tati. Which is Be Pretty and Shut Up. Um, no, I haven't seen
0: any of the films that she's directed. Uh, I have seen Last Year at and Bad and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Have you seen The Day of the Jackal? That is a, a kind of a major American uh, At
1: film. 73, um, I would like to see that. I, I don't think I've ever gotten around to that one, though.
0: So. No, nor nor have I, and uh, and I I kind of hate last year at Marion Bad, but is a a landmark French art film part of the. Did North you America?
1: think it was Marion Bad? Mm, I,
0: oh, no. I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> um, she also uh, worked again with Chantal Ackerman on two other films, Letters Home and Golden Eighties. Uh, neither of which I have seen, but they they seem to have a good
1: working relationship. Golden 80s sounds like a time-life collection from back in the day that you could buy on late-night infomercials with a lot of Hall & Oates songs. <laughs> yeah, supposedly
0: that's uh, that's Ackerman's comedy. I would be curious to see how she handles
1: comedy. I'd like to see that, you know. So. Yeah,
0: so that's that's about all I know about that. Jan, uh, Jan Decourt, the, who plays The Sun, didn't really do a whole lot as a film actor beyond this. He was in one other Ackerman film called All Night Long. He himself also directed, he directed three uh, apparently major Belgian films from something that I read somewhere in the 70s and mainly ended up working in stage, uh, theater, opera and dance, Mm. known for his modern adaptations of classical material, according to some website I found, and uh, directed more than 40 theater productions.
1: So that was really his main. Well, then he will love our modern adaptation of John Dielman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: I did find like his Instagram, which is, I mean, you know, normal, but it is funny in a weird way to see this guy now. And he's just like, here I am on vacation. And I don't know, it's just a weird disconnect between that and John Dielman. I did
1: take the note that Todd Haynes, who just uh, cleaned up there at uh, Cannes, Gus Van Zandt and Celine Sciamma are three of the filmmakers who have been influenced by this movie.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, the influence is 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 wide and varied. I mean, all of those make sense. But I, like, I thought of Ty West. I thought of The House of the Devil as I was watching this film. I thought of every A24 a...
2: movie I've ever watched, pretty much.
1: <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Except, I, I'm not going to say everything, everywhere, all at once, Dave. That's yeah, the Maybe not that means, one. Though. Right. Yeah. This
0: is nothing, nowhere, anytime. <laughs> yeah, <whatever. But>, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think that you can see that in, in, in movies that are a lot more mainstream but but take influence from that. And you know, Chloe Zhao too, like you mentioned, Jason. Um, I did also note down to go back to Jason's favorite publication, Caille du Cinéma. I'm an
1: honorary member, I don't have a choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> that uh, Jacques Donial Valcroze, who plays the second client that she sees that and does not kill, uh, was one of the co-founders of Caille du Cinéma and was the editor of it from 1951 to 1957.
1: Wow. That's uh that is even obs- obscure for this show, Josh.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I think it shows how she's immersed in that French new wave culture. And here she's getting this notable like film critic, although he was also an actor and a filmmaker on the side. Um, but she's, she's casting him in this film. So that's what I got. Anything else you want to say about the legacy here? Today? We did
2: it. We did. It, it is and a it major accomplishment, feel- by the way. That it is. this, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So. yeah. I mean, are you happy that that you uh, that
1: you watch this film? I'm um, relieved is the word. <laughs> that's how, that's I felt like there was a weight off of my chest. When it's not bad, like I gave it, you know, I I gave it a positive uh, amount of schnitzels, as you know, so in our reviews, sure. it's just it is a task. It
0: is, it is. But I mean, I think if you have any level of interest in seeing this film, it's worth the experience. That I mean, if it's something that you think. You would get something out of, like, devote the time and watch
1: it. If you watch this movie and Heaven's Gate back-to-back, please let us know, and you will be a guest on this show automatically. You'd be in the awesome movie your Hall of Fame. You <laughs> will be like Rob Reiner right there. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So that's John Dealman, And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Check us out online and on social media. We're
1: on all the socials at awesomemovieyear.com. Uh, that's where you're looking all the socials for us. That's our website. We're at Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Um, Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on all those things. Eat This Comedy still on Instagram and a website. Go for Jason, of course. Um, carry on the legacy of Calle de Cinema over there at Letterboxd.
0: Yes, Letterboxd, the modern kind of cinema. (laughs) Uh, Some old stuff for me at joshbellhateseverything.com. Also check out Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter and on Letterboxed. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together.
2: Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Has
0: this ever come up as a puzzle piece, Dave?
2: Good question. I don't think so. I know last night at Marion Bay—is that what it's called? Marion last, last year at I Marion Bay—that did once, but I don't think this has.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe now you can use it. Yeah. Forward to hearing that. I'm gonna. So, Jason, what are we talking about in our next? I next think season?
1: it's my pick, Josh. Right? It is. Oh, baby, get ready! Pacino's <laughs> back. Ah, uh, Pacino at his greatest. I'd say this might. What a what a run he had in the '70s. It's Dog Day Afternoon. Pacino, Sidney Lumet, both at the top of their game. Oh, man, this is a good one. Charles Durning, John Cazale, Chris Sarandon. Uh, we're going to have a good time, baby. We
0: are. I look forward to many impressions. So <laughs> tune in next time for Dog Day Afternoon.
2: And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.
0: All
1: Points West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.